Hey, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, I encourage you to bring your Bible every week. I know you've got your Bible app, but there's something, there's something about the leather. I don't know, man. Come on, that's what I'm saying. You can't do it. You, you look weird when you do that with your phone, don't you? It's not the same. So I, I do want you to secure your Bible if you have. If you're not, you can take out your smartphone and go to our, the YouVersion Bible app and hit the live event button, and there's some scripture there for you. But I want you to go specifically to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, I'm not going to get there for a while, so I just want you to hold your place. But we're, when we get there, we're going to be there. So I want you to have your place there, and, and yeah, you'll have some time to turn there. And as you find that, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's on page 1,822 in my Bible. Um, this is the biggest Bible I have. Look how big this Bible is. I have a preaching Bible. It's smaller, and it's not as heavy. <laughs> I have to switch hands. It's really heavy. Uh, this is my study Bible. I couldn't find my preaching Bible. Somebody stole my Bible. So, uh, so, so I've got my big Bible, so it's hanging off the podium today. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure that next Sunday that you are here no matter what. Don't let anything keep you from church next Sunday because we are having a Zion takeover service, which means our student ministry under the direction of Pastor Ben and his leadership team are leading the entire service. So Pastor Ben's going to be preaching, our students are going to be leading worship along with some members of our own band, and it's just going to be incredible. Um, we've, we've, we've done this uh, in the past some, but we did this on a Wednesday night not too long ago. How many of you were here? Man, did they not take us into the presence of a powerful God? And so make sure that you're here next Sunday, not just to support them. I'm talking about just here to be in the presence of God and let them lead you. So that's next Sunday, both our services. We're going to have a big time. So that's next Sunday. We're closing out our series today that we've been doing the last four or five weeks called This is Home. And we've been talking about our core values as a church family and really what makes this place home. Why is it that we choose to call North Park Church home? What are the values um, that, that shape us? Where do they come from from Scripture? I, I, I've, I don't want you to just think about what we do and, and, and just say, oh, that's, that's something that we just came up with. No, everything that we do as a church flows out of God's Word. And so I hope that you have a deeper knowledge and understanding of, of why we call North Park home and why this is such an important place to us. We talked a lot in our leadership team over the last couple of weeks that, that, that this, this time together on Sundays is, is so critically important because we understand that every Sunday as we come together in worship, it may be somebody's first time in the presence of God, so it matters so much that, that we want to do everything we can to make sure this is an incredible experience where you encounter the presence of God. It may be somebody's first time here, but it also may be somebody's last opportunity to hear the gospel, their last time to, uh, to encounter God's presence. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what life holds. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. And so that's why this is so important as we encounter the presence of God, that we go after it with everything that we have within us. But here's the last question that I want to ask you as we've been in this series, and here it is. What motivates you to do what it is that you do in your life? What is the biggest motivator behind your choices to do whatever it is that you're doing with your time and with the opportunity God's given you? 
If we think about sports or we think about a game analogy, uh, many of us, we played sports growing up because we um, just enjoyed uh, being with our friends. Uh, Some of us played because we had overbearing parents who made us and forced us to do things we didn't like to do. So we would grow in that experience. There's a lot of different motive. How many of you had a parent like that? Like you're just out there because somebody made you go out there. Some of us. And, and so there's a lot of motivators by, by, by which we do the things that we do. But I'm convinced if you play the game just because you simply like to, to win or you just simply like to be around your friends or you had a parent that made you do it, eventually you're going to get tired of doing it and you're going to quit. But if you love to play the game, and that's why you play, if you show up because you just absolutely love everything there is about that experience is if love is your biggest motivator I don't think you'll ever quit playing and and the reality is love is a powerful force and it's an unbelievable motivator love is a powerful force and an unbelievable motivator and there are a lot of factors that motivate us to even make a decision to say yes to Jesus think about it Now, some of you, it's been a long time since you said yes to Jesus, since you prayed a salvation prayer, or since you became a Christian. So so before you, since you've had that born-again experience, if you can go back to that time, if you can go back to that decision, what was it that originally caused you to say yes to Him? And the reality is some of us, we say yes because there's guilt in our life. So we follow out of guilt. Uh, Maybe you grew up a certain way and and you were just told this is the thing that you should do. You should show up to church on Sunday morning. Maybe you even show up to church every week because you feel guilty if you don't. And so some of us follow out of guilt. Others follow out of obligation. We just feel like that's what we're supposed to do and we made that decision so we just kind of show up or we continue to follow Jesus out of obligation. Some of you, if you're, if, you're, if you're being real, you made a decision, and we always say we want to be real at North Park, right? Some of us made the decision to follow Jesus out of fear of hell. Anybody? You, you, pre- you went to a church and they preached about hell a lot? I'll be honest, I, I made a decision to follow Jesus, if I'm just being completely real with you, out of fear of being left behind. Did anybody watch that movie? <laughs> Uh, back if you were as, as old as I am, before the Thief in the Night, there was what we called Christian horror movies uh, called The Thief in the Night. Does anybody remember those movies back in the 70s? If you want a, a good Sunday afternoon, go to YouTube and Google Thief in the Night, all right? And then show it to your children. They'll never sleep again. And there, there was the, it was the scariest stuff. And it was all about the rapture. And it was all about Jesus coming back. Now, I'm not making light because I do believe that Jesus is coming back. And I believe that it's sooner than later. I believe that with all my heart. And the church needs to be ready. But growing up, I had this fear that I was going to be left behind. And, and I had this eternal insecurity that if there was a thought in my mind, I talked about this with somebody last week, if there was a thought in my mind that shouldn't be there, if Jesus came back while that thought was still in my mind, I was left behind. You know, I didn't know anything about grace. And, and, if, and if I said a bad word and, and somehow Jesus came back before I had a chance to confess that sin, I prayed a prayer of confession about 700 times a day, you know, because it was just constantly fear of Jesus coming back and me being left behind and I have parents this is this is the truth y'all I have parents that snore my dad snores really bad and I was down the hall growing up and if I woke up in the middle of the night 
as long as I could hear my dad snoring, I was good. Because I knew dad was still here, which meant I was good. Jesus had not come back yet. And so I would wake up, and I couldn't hear my dad snoring. It freaked me out. And so I'd lay there, you know, and I'd pray a little bit, and then I'd, then I'd have to get up, and I'd go look down the hall, you know, into my mom and dad's bedroom, like, okay, they're still there. All right, I can go back to sleep. Like, I was so worried that I was going to miss the rapture. And then I went off to college. Some of you are laughing because you did the same thing. Go ahead and raise your hand. You're like me. Okay, some of us eternally insecure. And so... Um, I went off to college. I'll never forget this experience. Way before caller ID, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up. And I, I was on the top bunk in my, my, my dorm. And I woke up and I thought, it's happened. Jesus has come back. And, and, and I, I've been left behind. Like, I just had that fear. And so I, I, I looked down to see if my roommate was still there. And I thought, why am I looking at him? He's not going. What in the world? <laughs> And so I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I call, I call my mom and dad. 3 o'clock in the morning, no caller ID. Now, you know, if you get a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, it's a, hello? And, and I went, pick up. I was fine. I knew mom and dad were still there. They answered the phone. It was all good. And, and, and literally, I, I was so insecure. I did not want to miss heaven. And so that was a motivating factor for me for many years to follow Jesus. But I'm convinced that if, what's fo if, what, if, if that's what's driving our relationship with him, if we're following him out of guilt, or we're following him out of fear, or we're following him out of obligation, I'm afraid that that absolutely will not last in our life. Now we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 13 in a second. But 2 Corinthians 5, verses 13 through 15 says this. And I like the way the Apostle Paul begins this. If it seems we're crazy. Now maybe you came in and you're, you're like, these people are crazy. Paul says, if it seems like we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And, and if we all are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. And now Paul says this. He says, either way, regardless of what you think, when you look at us, when you talk to me, when you talk to us, regardless of what you think, it's Christ's love that controls us. Now, if you're looking at a different translation, maybe NIV or another translation, the word there is actually compels us. So what it says is either way, Christ's love, it compels us. So that everything that we do, we're being driven by His love. It's His love that, that, that surrounds us. It's His love that motivates us. It's His love that compels us. The New Living Translation says it's His love that controls us. And since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old self. So when we make a decision to follow Jesus, it's out of love because he's compelling us, not out of fear, not out of obligation, but just our response to who God is and what he's done for us, his love. Then what happens to us when we make that decision to follow him, the Bible says that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so we believe we've died to that old self, that old sinful nature. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And Paul says he died for everyone. So that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves, but now they live for Christ who died and was raised for them. But what Paul is saying is all of this experience, this new life, this life change, this new experience, it's all driven by one thing, and it is Jesus' love for us and our love for him. 
And, 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 and if we could kind of boil this entire thing down to one sentence, it would be this. When we love someone deeply, we serve with a glad heart. When love is the motivator behind what we do, it changes our response to our situations and to people and relationships. Jesus said it this way in John 14 and 15. He said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Not out of fear, not out of obligation, not out of guilt. No, 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 just out of love. If you love me, it's going to change the way you respond to, to, to me is what Jesus is saying. So if you love me, then just do what I say. Obey my commandments. And that love is what keeps us in his will and what keeps us holding on to him when things get tough. Now, I'll be honest. I have self-diagnosed ADD. No doctors ever told me about it. I just self-diagnosed. I've got a very short attention span. Somebody, somebody came up to me one day and said, Pastor, it, it, it's funny to me some of the things that you do. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they'll be like, literally, I, I'll be talking to you sometimes on a Sunday morning, and you'll walk away from me in mid-conversation. I'm like, I don't do that. And somebody else was standing there like, yeah, you've done it to me too. And I'm like, really? I do that? And they're like, yeah, you, you really do. So if I've ever walked away from you in mid-conversation, it's really just because you're not that interesting. No, I'm kidding. That's not why. It's not that at all. I have a very short attention span. And so what they even explained, what will happen is I'll be talking to you. I'll be talking to you, and somebody will come up and interrupt the conversation and ask you a question, and you will forget that you're in this conversation, and now you're in this conversation and they they said i'll still be standing there waiting for you to finish and when you're done you just walk away and I'm like, okay all right he's done and and i i apply I, i'm so sorry if i've ever done that i have a very short attention span and that shows up. anybody else like that uh, okay thank you thank you for not making me feel bad it shows up in a lot of different areas of my life not just in a conversation It'll show up in areas of my life where there's a new idea or a new opportunity. And I'll be super excited about it for like a week. And then something else will come along that's shiny and I'm really excited about that thing for the next week. And my wife and I have this, this joke. I'm really great at starting something. I'm, I have a very entrepreneurial spirit. I like the excitement of starting something new and, 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 and fresh. But when it comes to finishing it, it can often be a challenge. So I call my wife the closer because she's like, she's, she's grit. She'll finish it to the, very, to the very end. That's why we make a great team. And so for me personally, if it gets challenging, sometimes I just want to move on. Sometimes if it gets boring, I just want to move on. If things get monotonous, I just want to move on. So what is it that keeps me committed to the long haul? It's love. It's love that fuels my commitment to Jesus. Love keeps us from giving up on people we're praying for. Love keeps us committed to pastoring a city when it gets tough. Love keeps us serving, and love keeps us giving, and love keeps us going. Love is what keeps us growing. We say all the time that we exist to love God and to love other people. And everything we do as a church hang on those commandments that Jesus gave us. They asked him what the greatest commandment was. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and strength. And he said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so everything that we do as a church kind of flows out of that thought of loving God and loving other people. That love is the powerful motivator that keeps us doing what we do for the long haul. And everything that we do as individuals and as a family should hinge on those exact same commandments. 
If a person, if you, if you show up to church because you just feel this is a safe place to come and learn and grow about God, or because you feel guilty if you don't show up, or you show up just because you like the music, eventually those things are not going to be enough to sustain you when life gets tough. Think about that. What if the only reason you come and show up is because you love the music? What if we change the style of the music? What if you come here because you just love some of the people you're surrounded by? What if they're not here anymore? If those things are what keep you connected to the body of Christ, the reality is those things may change. Does that change what you do? But if your motivating factor is your love for God and your love for other people, it's not circumstantial and it doesn't depend on your situation and what's happening around you. You're just committed to doing what you're doing because you simply love God and you simply love other people. So the greatest motivation for ministry and for being a part of a church and the most sustainable must be love. And without love, we're never going to have the energy and the strength to last over the long haul. And if we want to pastor our city, that's a commitment to the future. And we say it all the time. We don't want to just raise up a group of people we can pastor, but we want to raise up a group of people that will pastor this city. And that's a commitment that's going to take us some time. It's a commitment until Jesus comes back. And the only thing that's going to sustain us and keep us when it's difficult or when it's hard or when it's taking longer than we thought it would, the only thing that's going to sustain us is our love for God and our love for other people. And that's true in every area of my life. Because if you love an activity, you will have time and energy for it. What do we say? People, we, we often say something like this. Well, people do what they want to do. You ever heard anybody say that before? People do what they want to do. I I would actually argue a little different phrase. I I would say it this way. People do what they love to do. People don't just do what they want to do. People do what they love to do. And and if you want to see how people are going to spend time in their life, begin to discover what it is that they truly love because that's what they're going to spend their time doing. If you love your job, you don't mind going. If you love your hobby, you don't complain about it. If you love people around you, you don't dread spending time with them. Why? Because genuine love transforms what we believe into how we live. Our genuine love, that love relationship that we have with the living son of the living God, that love transforms the things in our mind, the things that we believe into how we live. I had a real in-depth conversation with a friend this week. And one of the statements that I made in my message last week was that our worldview should not shape our faith. But instead, our faith should shape our worldview. That every decision that we make and the way that we view the world, everything about us as followers of Jesus should not be shaped by popular opinion. It should not be shaped by some political sports team. It it, it should be shaped not, not by what the world says, but our worldview should be shaped by what God's word says. It is our blueprint for living. And he said, Pastor, I get that. I understand that. But here's what you have to understand. He said, I was an adult when I came to Jesus. He said, I've only been saved a few years. And so by the time I said yes to Jesus, I already had a worldview. 
I already had my mind made up on all of these different things in my life. And I have a hard, fast opinion about those things and have often been stubborn about those things in the past. And he said, so imagine now me walking into the church, coming in and making a decision to follow Jesus. Now all of a sudden, I've just got to change my mind on all these things that I've held so tightly in my hands over the years. He said, that's a very difficult thing for me to do. How am I supposed to do that? And, and, and I think it really goes back to this one statement. When love is driving everything that we do and we truly have this incredible relationship with Jesus, the more time that we spend with him and the more time we spend in his word, the more time that, that, that our opinions and, and, and our desires and our plans are shaped by him, his spirit, and his word. And so that genuine love, that relationship that we have with the Son of God, all of a sudden that begins to transform what we believe into how we live our lives. And so do you attend church because you genuinely love God and the people there? Do you serve the body of Christ because you genuinely love God and the people there? Or are you just seeking to get something out of the experience? I think you either walk into the church with one of two questions. I think either one question is, what's the church going to do for me today? What, what, what's the church going to do to meet my needs today? Or we walk in asking, how am I going to serve somebody else in this place today? How can I be a blessing to my community today? How can I be a blessing to the body of Christ today? And I think what really determines what question we ask when we walk in that door is what is the thing that's motivating us most? And if it's love for God and it's love for his church and his people, then we're going to walk in trying to figure out how in the world can I be a blessing to somebody? And that love helps us be more committed and finish strong. So here's my question to you. What is the number one thing that is fueling you right now? What has been the number one thing that has fueled you this week during this crazy post-election? Is it loving God? Is it loving others? Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. It's not even going to be on the screen for you because I want you to read it. I want you to absorb it. I want you to take it in. And I want us to apply it today. Are we, are we living out what God's word says to us? Is love driving us? 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, If I could speak in any language in heaven or on earth, but didn't love others, I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I knew all the mysteries of the future and knew everything about everything, but I didn't love others, what good would it be? And if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move. That's a lot of faith, people. If I could speak to a mountain and make it move without love, I would be no good to anybody. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my own body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would be of no value whatsoever. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
Love is not jealous, it's not boastful, and it's not proud. It's not rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable, and it keeps no records of when it's been wrong. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful, and it endures in every circumstance. Love will last forever, but prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will disappear. Now we know only a little, and even the gift of prophecy reveals a little. But when the end comes, these gifts will all disappear. It's like this. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child does. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly as a poor mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me now. There are three things that will endure, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these things, Paul says, is our love. So my question to you is, have you done that this week? Is that the example that you've seen the body of Christ portraying this week post-election? One of my great friends posted a very encouraging message that sounded a lot like this on Facebook this week. And it was a beautifully written post. And someone commented on his post these words. I think so many messages by Jesus really speak to me. Now this is not a person who's a follower of Jesus. not a person who made Jesus a priority in their life. This is their observation. I think so many messages by Jesus really speak to me. But so many people that profess to follow his teachings... Just hurt my heart with some of their comments. It all seems so opposite to me. And so here's a person who's saying, I read Jesus' teaching. And I like what Jesus is saying. I like what Jesus is saying because it speaks so much to my heart. And what they're saying is the Holy Spirit is working on me. As I read and hear about what Jesus, the Son of the living God, is saying. And I love what Jesus is saying. But when I look at all the things that these people who profess to follow him, when I read what they are saying, she said it hurts my heart because it seems completely opposite to what Jesus is saying. And so I go back to the question, what is the biggest motivator in your life? Are you being driven By a passionate relationship with Jesus? Or is there something else that's driving you? Because if we aren't leading with love, most likely we're pushing a lot of people further and further and further away from Jesus instead of compelling them to come to the heart of the Father. I had someone reach out to me this week and and just said, I I would really love to talk to you. I'd really love to hear what you have to say about things that are happening in the world today. She said, because if everybody is like what I see in my Facebook feed and that's what the church is like, I don't want anything to do with it. What's motivating us? 
what if I don't feel that love? How do I find that kind of love? Let me give you three things really quickly. Here's the first one. You can write them down. you got to discover the source of the love. you got to go back to the source. you got to go back to where it comes from. you got to experience a relationship with Jesus. 1 John 4 and 8 says, but anyone who does not know love, they don't know God. If you don't experience that love, it's, it's probably because there's something that, that, that's, that's, that's unhealthy in your relationship with God. There's something that's dr- driving a wedge between you and God. Because those who do not love don't know God. For God is love. So if you're healthy in your relationship with Him and you're walking with Him and you're being led by the Spirit of God, you're going to be driven by that love. And so if you don't feel that love, If you feel driven by anger and hatred, if you feel driven by anything other than love, I would just say fall back on your face and rediscover that love relationship again. The book of Revelation said, I I, I wish you'd be hot or cold, be one or the other, but this lukewarm stuff, that I'll spew you out of my mouth. What he's saying is make a decision, be in or be out. But this half-hearted thing, trying to keep one foot in the world and one foot in in faith, this just isn't working. You're you're lukewarm, and if you're lukewarm, if you're room temperature, I'm just going to spit you out of my mouth. That's what he said. Now, ultimately, what he wants is for us to be on fire for him. He wants us to be hot, right? He wants us to have that relationship with him. So we need to fall on our faces and rediscover that. He said, what you need to do is you need to go back and renew your first works. You need to do your first works again. Some of us need to fall in love with Jesus again. The second thing is we just need to be very intentional about demonstrating love. Colossians chapter 3 verse 14, the first part of that says, Above all else, clothe yourself with love. I love that word picture. Clothe yourself with love. When you got up this morning... You know, you, you probably went and, and, and got a shower or something, but you didn't just walk out the door. You didn't just come to church. What did you do? You, you went somewhere in your closet, and, and you found a garment, and you clothed yourself. You were intentional about putting it on. I think some of us need to get in our prayer closet, find this relationship with Jesus to be new and fresh and on fire, and we need to intentionally clothe ourselves with love. It's intentional. It's an intentional decision. It's an intentional choice. I am going to demonstrate love to the people around me. And maybe it's not your default position to just be friendly and kind and compassionate. You have to be intentional about putting on that garment of love. And not only is it intentional, but it's covering. It covers up. Love covers up all those things in our lives that don't look like Jesus. And there's a lot of stuff in our life that doesn't look like Jesus. And so we can either walk around in the world not looking like Jesus, or we can be intentional about putting on, clothing ourselves with love. And verse 14, the second part says, when we clothe ourselves with love, it binds us all together in perfect harmony. So what's the lesson? The third thing is, let love heal. Love is a healing agent to relationships. Love is a healing agent in our world. And when we intentionally clothe ourselves with love, what happens is that love, it binds us together in perfect harmony. 1 Peter 4 and 8 says, Most important of all, continue to show a deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10 and 12 says, Hatred. 
It stirs up quarrels. But love makes up for all offenses. Over and over this week, I've heard, what's the answer? What's the answer to things happening in our world? Is it just going to keep getting worse? Is it just going to keep getting worse? If we continue to lead with hatred, yes, it is going to continue to get worse. If we as the body of Christ continue to spew hatred, it is going to get worse. Why? Because the Bible says hatred stirs up quarrels. It just stirs the pot. It stirs the pot. But love makes up for all of those offenses. You know the best thing we can possibly do? Get off social media for a while. Just get off it. I deleted all of them off my phone this week because I had had enough. I had enough. I'm tired of reading it. I, I, I'm, I'm tired of, 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 of being tempted to just... One of the best things you can do is just get off it for a while. I think we need a media fast. Just go off it for a while. Don't, don't let that stuff continue to, to, just, to just stir up in your heart and your spirit. Distance yourself from it. I, I really encourage you, just, just find, find a place of solitude. Find a place for, for love to begin to heal your heart and love to begin to heal your emotions and love to begin to cover up all that stuff that's been uncovered in your heart and surrender that stuff to Jesus and then begin to have some conversations with people and let that love spill out into their life. I, I, I'm telling you, you you're, you're not going to change the world because you ran on Facebook. It's not going to happen. I've never seen anybody go, oh, look at that post. You know what? They are so right. I was so wrong. Huh. It's not going to happen. You know what? You know what will begin to heal some situations? Go have a cup of coffee with somebody. Instead of trying to prove somebody wrong, why, why, don't you, why don't you set up an appointment? Why don't you go take them out for lunch or go have a cup of coffee? And why don't you just begin to talk and let love guide that conversation instead of all this other stuff that's guided? I guarantee you, you will do more damage on that social media outlet than you will ever do good. So let love, let love heal in our life group this past week and just one more reason of why our life groups are so critically important we had this great conversation and we talked about how sometimes your feelings have to catch up with your faith because a lot of times we are led by our feelings and our feelings will get us in trouble because our feelings are up and then they're down and they're in and they're out. And if we are driven by our feelings, man, we'll be like the leaves in the wind. We'll just blow whichever way the wind is blowing if we're led by our feelings. You know people like that. Maybe you're like that. What we need to be is led by love. We need to be led by our faith in Jesus that produces this love. And, but we were talking about oftentimes our feelings have to catch up with our faith. Because our feelings and our faith are not always on the same page. And the Bible tells us this great story of this guy named Jonah. I'm not going to preach this message, but you remember, Jonah was supposed to go preach to the Ninevites. And he didn't want to. And so he disobeyed God, and he ran from God. And do you know where he ended up? In the belly of a great fish. You know what he did after he came out of that? He went to Nineveh. But do you know why he didn't want to go to Nineveh? He didn't like Ninevites. He wasn't driven by love. He didn't like those people. But yet those were the very people that God called him to. And so he disobeyed God and he ran from the calling of God on his life. 
And, and so here's what I'm saying. I'm saying when you step out in faith and you're obedient to the Holy Spirit, eventually your feelings will catch up to your faith. And so no matter what God is calling you to do, you may not feel like it. It might not be what you want to do. It might not be your top preference. Be obedient anyway. Because eventually your feelings will catch up to your faith. Maybe you don't feel like loving other people. Serve them anyway. Maybe you don't have a burden for lost people. Reach out to them anyway. Maybe you don't desire to volunteer and being ministry. Just be obedient. Step out. Let God use you. And here's what I think will happen. I think God will use those people in your life. And I think he'll use those experiences to shape and mold your heart into the person that he wants you to be. He'll shape and mold your heart into his image. And I'm convinced that we are the most like Jesus when we are just simply loving others and serving them. Love God. Love others.